Welcome to Photo Geek Weekly, episode 107, recorded on May 8th of 2020. Uh, this is the show where I'm your host, Don Komarechka, and I try to find geeky, technical, uh, ethical, sometimes legal <laughs> topics in the photo industry that we can sink our teeth into uh, and opine on ad nauseum. Uh, usually, there is a co-host with me, and this week, I'm so happy to bring back Steve Brokaw. Uh, Steve, based in Indiana, how you doing out there? So far, so good. It's uh, just like everyone. I'm hunkered down in place and uh, hoping things open back up so I can get back to business. Yeah. Well, I, well let, let's talk briefly about uh, about your business because you're pretty heavily affected by this. Uh, yeah, you've got a, a, a modeling agency and, and, and I could imagine there might be some demand for uh, very elegantly dressed women with uh, 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 matching face masks as mm-hmm. a fashion accessory, <laughs> right? That, that could be a thing. I don't know if anybody's asking for that right now, but uh, for the most part, your business is uh, in the off position, right? Right. Yeah. I mean, uh, really two businesses, model agency and then the photography business, the model agency business, actually, we shut it down. Um, you know, it was really starting to get affected at the end of the year. Mm-hmm. Um, beginning of the year, people, brands started to get a little nervous. So um, we actually made the strategic decision to shut the, the agency down. And then the photography business around late, late February, because um, it's a studio-based business, uh, completely stopped. So it's, um, you know, it's no different than anybody else in the industry. It's uh, basically shut down for now. Yeah. And uh, I mean, most photographers uh, are either out of work or they're very lucky. Uh, I mean, I'm, I'm an educator in, right. in a sense. And so I can record videos and uh, I can do online right. webinars and sessions like that to some degree. Um, but all major conferences are canceled. I'm in the process of deferring workshops uh, to later in the year or in right. 2021. And uh, so there's a huge hit there as well. But uh, uh, what are your plans? I mean, uh, you're re- semi-retired from corporate life, right. so it's not like uh, you're you know, running paycheck to paycheck, which I know a lot of people are right now. And when when they disappear, they're in trouble. But uh, your game plan moving forward, I'd be very curious to know what that's like. Yeah, I'm pretty I'm pretty lucky because uh, I don't use my photography business, you know, to live off of. It's primarily, you know, for traveling equipment, managing the studio, um, staff, things like that. So essentially, we the whole industry is just, is just shut down. So clients are not hiring uh, talent. They're not hiring photographers. There's you don't no, have makeup artists. No or makeup anybody else artists. To, no yeah. hairstylist. No uh, fashion stylist. Agencies are not booking out talent. Um, clients are not booking us. Studios you can't use. Although I have my own. Um, as an example, I had a uh, about a three week shoot in Los Angeles in April. Uh, with a bunch of agencies, we had to shut, we basically stopped and it hasn't been rescheduled. So it's the way that it's working in my state is that they're going to probably have things open up fully um, in June. Uh, They're talking about end of June, 1st of July, slowly ramping things up. But even if I were to start this month, you know, let's say opening the studio start it's going to be a month or two before people are willing to start working. And because of a lack of guidance in a lot of industries, um, I might be able to open the studio, but I can't hire makeup artists or hairstylist. So it's, it's not consistent. So I'm looking at probably summertime before things start up normally. And yeah. the shoots that we are looking to do in April 
in LA. We're, the earliest we're looking to do that is in September, October at the best. So essentially six months are gone, I would say. And uh, it, thankfully, you're you're not in a position where that's going to force you to sell your house and, no. and so on and so forth. No. But um, yeah, I, I worry about so many people that are rushing to reopen in certain areas where there is massive outbreaks. I'm so glad that my wife transitioned. She's a, a registered nurse who uh, you know, was working in long-term care facilities and transitioned mm-hmm. to teaching. And now she can do that from home. And that's wonderful. But uh, to all those out there that have to be out there, I, I commend them. Um, but also those people that want to rush to reopen because their pocketbook is, uh, is looking a little thin. I, I have to understand their reasoning. Right. I have to understand why people are you know, reaching some level of desperation for that. But at the same time, there's a quote from uh, Dwight D. Eisenhower, who I believe is your 34th president, if memory serves. Um, name our prime ministers, will you, Steve? But uh, he said, and I'm going to paraphrase, um, that uh, a, a society that values their freedoms uh, over their principles soon loses both. Mm-hmm. And so we have to just make sure that we you know, do things properly and in check and, right. and that we don't just rush uh, to give ourselves an advantage over other people that will lose their lives in the process. Right. By the way, it's Justin Trudeau. <laughs> well, that's the current one. Uh, yes. Thank you for that. Uh, he's had his scandals, so he's been in the news too. I know. So his name is known to, to many. It. Uh, but, uh, so uh, great to know that you're not doing too badly, but uh, again, it's going to be really interesting when, uh, when your industry, uh, I mean the photographic industry at large, uh, portraiture, et cetera, uh, comes back, how it will change. I mean, any ideas as to what your, what the new normal is going to be for you? I don't. And unfortunately, um, I think it's going to be up to a lot of individuals because the, the industry that I'm in is really not regulated. There's no governing body per se. There's no one um, overall authority to say, okay, this is how the industry should go. And so it's really up to each individual photographer, whether you're a wedding photographer, whether you're a seniors photographer, you host workshops, you do video work, you know, you do corporate headshots. Um, you may open up your corporate headshot business again, but if corporations decide, you know what, we're just going to have everybody work from home from now on. Or, you know, we don't want people to come in to a studio to have headshots done. It doesn't matter whether the photographers were willing to do business. The clients aren't there. Brands are changing the way they do business. Um, you know, you see a lot of brands doing FaceTime type of, of uh, photo shoots where they do very raw type of imagery. And if that takes off, they may say, you know what, do we really need to spend that much money to do a full, you know, full spread. So I think the industry is going to change. Well, um, here's, here's a, an angle on that too, that you just kind of uh, touched on a bit, but um, all of the uh, uh, late night comedy news, uh, like right. uh, Stephen Colbert and uh, Trevor Noah on the daily show and uh, Jimmy Fallon and Jimmy Kimmel and all these people, um, they've been doing it from home. Right. And, uh, it's been comical and fun and you understand that the production quality is lower and you accept right. it. Now that mentality, uh, I think that will be pervasive moving forward. The lack of good lighting or, right. uh, you know, a studio audience or, you know, the, the fact that you've got things that go wrong and everybody just says, well, that's acceptable now. Right. And so would that translate 
to people doing like a selfie in a slightly more glamorous way than just holding your arm half out of the frame and holding up your camera. I mean, but to, to take your own right. and to move forward and say, okay, well, based on the new normal, um, that is now acceptable on some level. I, I think it's, it depends. So as an example, a lot of my content uh, goes into social media. So in the modeling world, in the modeling agency world, um, Instagram and social media is, is a huge, um, it's basically drives content. Yeah. And so having good content is critical. That's why we just mentioned before uh, we started to record about video, content's critical. And so if you have a, a poorly done selfie, eh, yeah, yeah, you'll get some attention, you'll get some likes, but brands are not going to really pay that much attention to it. But if you have a well-done studio shoot or a, a high-end photo shoot, um, that gets a lot of attention. So I think that will come back, but I don't think it'll come back as quickly as as people would like. So, um, you know, a good example for me is that uh, I'm I'm sure that once I open my doors again, um, after about a month or so for people to start, you know, showing some interest and comfort to coming into the studio, uh, there's a chance my business will go back to normal. But um, I think that's just just hoping. We'll yeah. see. We'll see. Uh, so many unknowns right now. We have no yeah. idea what the world is going to be. We can hope for the best and prepare for the worst. Well, think of it this way, too. If let's say you're a wedding photographer. So weddings are gone. It's shut down. Yeah. So and, you know, if you're going to have a wedding in June. That was probably booked six months ago, if not more. Yeah. Well, we booked our venue a year and a half yeah. in advance. Yeah. So a lot of these wedding photographers, they have nothing until probably six months from now. Um, if you're seniors, I mean, there's, they're not even sure if they're going to open up schools yet in the fall. And so if you're, you know, if you want to do a senior headshot, it's not there. So it's going to be tough. Well, and like my daughter would be going to junior kindergarten in September, which I'm mm -hmm. really looking forward to if that comes to pass because <laughs> I need my productivity back yeah, here at yeah. home. Like the other day, I started up the the dryer uh, and, uh, you know, just wash the clothes, throw it in the dryer, press the go button. And there was a, like a god awful screeching sound coming out. I'm like, okay, well, this is not good. No. I'm not an appliance repair technician, but I must become one. And uh, so... Uh, with a lot of frustration and mistakes and uh, and a lot of face palming moments over a number of hours, uh, I figure out how to disassemble the device, which in hindsight was really simple. Uh, but you don't know that when you just stare right. at this random box and say, okay, what screws come out first? Um, there was a pine cone wedged in the blower uh, thing. And, uh, you know, I, I look at my daughter, who's just about... her. Her birthday is next month, uh, going to be four years old. And I just, I cannot fathom how that pine cone somehow ended up in the blower of the dryer. <laughs> Gee, dad. Uh, who could have done such a thing? And so that, that was the bulk of my productivity yesterday. Right. <laughs> uh, but hey, you know, it is what it is. Uh, I did not have to uh, hire a repair technician for which I would have had to pay uh, like a a hundred or two hundred dollars to come right. in and point out and say found your problem i did it myself um but uh i mean that that's my new normal i'm trying to be productive over here but there, there's a lot of stuff that life is a new adventure every day i think what's interesting is if you look back to december of this past year 
how things were going and you're planning for 2020 and you had all the plans. It's going to be a banner year. It was going to be, oh yeah, so many plans. And that's essentially shut. I bet if you look at things six months from now, things will be different. The way we do business will be different. Um, The way we interact, the way we buy things are different. Um, It's, I think we're, like you said, the new normal is going to be different in six months from now than it is right now. And I, I got an email from uh, a fellow, uh, Ken Canham, I think. I'm just going to double check his name to be sure. Um, and uh, every year he does a bulk order of, uh, of uh, film. Uh, from Kodak, because if you want to get large format film from Kodak, oh yeah, I reached out to him once. Uh, yeah, and you you basically have to do this by a group buy right. because mm-hmm. Kodak wants you to spend like a number or a Keith uh, Keith Canham is Keith his name. Can- yeah, I'm right. Uh, him. And uh, and so uh, if you want to drop like uh, a a dollar value in the five figures, Kodak will spin up uh, an order of eight by 10 film for you, but not many people are going to do that. Um, And I, I honestly, I don't know if companies like Kodak making that kind of film, I'm sure the movie stock is still going to be there. They have contracts to supply that. Even if people aren't actively filming, the stuff doesn't Mm -hmm. go bad overnight. Um, But I've got an 11 by 14 studio camera that I've been in the process of repairing on and off for a while. I can't find a proper 11 by 14 back for it. Mm-hmm. If anybody's got a lead on a Century studio camera, 11 by 14 back, hit me up. Um, or even an 8 by 10 reduction back because Kodak has uh, reduced the number of sheets per box from 50 which I'd never buy because, I mean, I'm not using it professionally, but I'd buy 10 Mm -hmm. as a curiosity. And they've lowered the sheets per box down to 10. Hmm. So I I dropped uh, like 300 and something dollars. Uh, So it'll cost me like $33 a sheet uh, plus shipping for 8x10 Portra 400. And one of the reasons why I did that is because I know that I'm going to get that box and I'm going to stick it in my freezer. Mm -hmm. And I got spousal approval first. Um, But uh, I don't know if Kodak uh, making that kind of product is going to be around after all of it. There's so many unknowns. And I figured, well, you know, let's support the company now. Uh, especially if they're making an affordable quantity that I know I can preserve for a lengthier period of time uh, and help them through this. So well, uh, you, I'm getting my 8 by 10 Portra 400. Well, as you know, film photography has taken off in the last couple of years. It's really ramped back up. Um, you know, I'm intimately involved with it. And both, Ilf- I think Ilford, and I'm not sure about Kodak, but Ilford shut down their plants. So black and white chemistry, black and white film, you know, the Ilford brand, they're just not making any. And if you look at some of the the big online sellers, you know, out of stock, out of stock, out of stock. And so if they start things back up again, it's going to take a while to get back into the, um, you know, distribution chain. So that's taken a big chunk out of the industry as well. Yeah, well, and uh, and, and a shout out to, to Keith as well. He makes... Uh odd sized large mm-hmm. format cameras and they're beautiful they're pieces of artwork um he makes an 8 by 20 camera that i've just been drooling over but there's no way i could actually justify the purchase of that spousal approval ends there i know um just before that point and so uh i, I look at that and i think you mentioned to ilford they'll usually once a year do a an odd sized large mm-hmm. format film order right. where uh you can get your eight by twenty inch sheet of uh of you know HP uh five or whatever uh you, you want. They usually give you any option right. uh, that, that that's in their uh lineup. And uh and so I think that 
I, I don't want that to go away. Ilford's the only company that does that. Right. And so you look at, uh, you know, uh, 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 Canon cameras, Keith, uh, and, uh, and other companies that produce products that are solely dependent right now on one supplier of consumables. Mm-hmm. And uh, yes, it's a small business. I'm sure they don't do huge volume uh, of sales. Um, but if one company goes out, it kind of, hits a domino effect right. and so many others they just disappear unless somebody fills the void but right now there's not a lot of uh entrepreneurial spirit uh in the world so well let, let's not dwell too heavily on that yeah. <laughs> um but steve th- thanks for being here we've got sure. some stories to get into but yep. there is one thing that i need to mention before we do and it's it's a, a sad thing that Uh, I didn't mention in the previous few episodes because I didn't know if I could get through it. Um, But a friend and colleague uh, has recently passed away. And uh, this was a long battle with cancer. And uh, so the very first uh, guest host on this podcast uh, was Mike Howard who was uh, the uh, primary host of the podcast JPEG to Raw, an IT professional by trade and hobbyist photographer, very smart, intelligent, but humble guy. Uh, He lost his battle with cancer on April 19th. And uh, he was a uh, frequent guest on the show, good friend of mine. Uh, I was a guest on his podcast, etc. I mean, he he leaves behind a legacy of being a, a nice, a nice guy an educator, somebody that might have known the answer to a question, but so enthusiastically and humbly asked it so that the conversation would carry forward. Um, He, you know, I I like to think about people that uh, strive for greatness and they Mm -hmm. sacrifice so much in that process. Um, But if you strive for goodness, then you are a much better person and so is everybody around you. And that really sums up Mike. Um, So, uh, he's no longer with us. Uh, he fought the good fight for a very long time and was uh, happy and respectful and uh, and patient all the way through his struggles. And uh, so um, I guess I have to say goodbye to a good friend, but I also want to make everybody else aware that uh, he's no longer here. Um, so in, uh, in memory of him, uh, you may have heard him on this podcast, even if you didn't, if, even if you've never interacted with him, we're going to give him uh, a minute of silence here. And, uh, so, um, uh, here we go. So thank you, Mike. Um, it's uh, sad that I had to uh, make that announcement, but uh, man, he was a good friend. And yeah, it's always sad when that happens. 
And there's a lot of it going around for many reasons right now. Um, many preventable reasons, as always. Uh, I've, I've known people uh, my entire life that um, have gone too soon. And mm-hmm. uh, I can now, unfortunately, count Mike among them. But let's, um, let's carry on to some of the stories because sure. uh, we got to gotta keep on keeping on. The, the world continues and people listening to this podcast, I know... A good number of you uh, look uh, look to this on a weekly basis as a uh, a moment of levity in your week. So I want to make sure we can provide that. Um, so let's get into the stories. Steve, have you had a chance to review them? Yeah, sure have. All right. So uh, story one involves a uh, a nice kind of DIY mentality, um, and reported by DP Review that Raspberry Pi, which has been around for a long time, it is not a dessert. It is a technological device that is a dirt cheap computer um, that I think they originally were selling the first ones for $25 or $35 mm-hmm. as a uh, programmable uh, embedded system that you could use to control all sorts of gadgets and Rube Goldberg machines to your heart's content um, and uh, and just build stuff. You needed a computer to control a thermostat. Before those were a thing, you'd use a Raspberry Pi. Uh, you need one to control your sprinkler system outside, you could use a Raspberry Pi. There are so many ways that you could just uh, you know get down and uh, and program it on a very fundamental, not powerful level. Um, but they were expanding over the last few years. I mean, they've been around for a while, and they've had a camera module for quite some time. But now, uh, an advancement towards that is they realized it's not that difficult to put in a sensor that's normally designed for closed caption television uh, networks security cameras and that sort of thing, um, that have their own mount, a C or a CS mount uh, based on the variants, that you can screw in lenses designed for specific purposes for CCTV uh, applications. Now you can do that with a Raspberry mm-hmm. Pi. They've upgraded their camera module to accept interchangeable lenses. Um, uh, professionally, Steve, this doesn't affect either of us. No. Uh <laughs> But it, it's kind of interesting the way that photography, especially from a DIY perspective, uh, now has more options on the table. I don't know how much there is to talk about this, but this is just about the only hardware news for the week. So what do you think? I thought it was pretty interesting because I'm familiar with Raspberry Pi. My son is a, a technologist and he and I were talking about it last night, as a matter of fact. Um, and, it, you know, it's like for those people who build their own computer. Um, something like this would be kind of cool. Uh, that's uh, me. <laughs> but I can see things like, you know, now better eyes for a robot that somebody builds or um, security type cameras or, you know, astrophotography um, where somebody feels like, you know, the standard camera doesn't work for me. And so I need to DIY something myself. This is, gives them an option, especially if you're already familiar with the Raspberry Pi technology and, um, yeah, I think it's kind of fun. You know, it's something that, you know, if you are a geeky type person that likes to put stuff together, here's one more option. And I was even thinking, you know, it's not that expensive. You know, I might play around with something like this. I got I got a CCTV lens. I might try something like this and see what I, what I can do with it. Well, and I mean, you could build your own security camera. You right. can program a Raspberry Pi based on camera input uh, to activate and record data based on motion within the frame and, right. and do whatever you want with that footage as a result. Um, 
Or, you know, they've made CCTV lenses, I, I believe, as wide of an aperture as uh, f0.95, mm-hmm. which is uh, something of a coveted number by right. people that talk about wide aperture lenses. And yeah, it's not actually as wide as a full frame lens or even a micro four thirds lens that has that moniker of f0.95. Uh, that's a relative term. Uh, but if you can have that much light coming in, mm-hmm. uh, you know, th- this could be a really useful thing. Like, We've got uh, mallard ducks in in our pond, and I built a uh, a little nesting box for them, hoping that they would every year they come back. Mm-hmm. And uh, I'm this year I was just trying to convince them to have their babies here in mm-hmm. our yard, and uh, they're not really paying much attention to the nesting box, unfortunately. But maybe next year, and if they do, and if I see any signs of a nest in there, wouldn't it be cool? Mm-hmm. Uh, the pond has a, a electric outlet near it, so that uh, we have a little waterfall and a pump and everything. Thing. Um, I could have uh, a little uh, egg cam in there, and uh, it would be a great sort of learning activity for my daughter next summer if they do decide to nest there. There's just so many applications yeah. for this uh, that, again, they don't cost a lot. CCTV lenses are dirt cheap. If you right. look on eBay, you can buy them for the change in your pocket uh, and uh, and attach that to, uh, to one of these sensors. The real difficulty here is that it's only turnkey so much as you know what you're going to do with it. Exactly. And if somebody has also gone there first, mm-hmm. right, and has developed software and has offered it for free. Otherwise, you got to start programming. And that's not everybody's cup of tea. Yeah, I think you still need a Raspberry Pi computer to attach course, it to. Yeah. So, you know, that by itself, you have to have a certain amount of skills because you just can't plug in, you know, Windows 10 or iOS <laughs> and have it run. It's It's a little bit of a DIY, but I could see... You know, if you got a little bit of time on your hand, like now, yeah, um, like everybody, something, <laughs> and you want to, you know, you want to spend a little bit of money, but not that much, you could have some fun with something like this. Yeah, I, and and even if it doesn't amount to anything useful, mm-hmm. what you've done with your time is, is you've learned a new skill, right? Uh, or you've attempted to do so, and that's exactly. almost just as good. Yeah, uh, we could all use a little bit of deviation from normality, uh, even if it's just in our mind when we try to tinker with a project. <laughs> and uh, so this is a great way to do that. Yeah. Raspberry Pi now has interchangeable lenses via like CCTV uh, equipment. In the article, and I encourage anybody to take a look at it uh, via uh, DP Review uh, on the show notes at photogeekweekly.com. They've actually, uh, through a series of adapters, adapters because any lens is ultimately adaptable to any other lens if you try hard enough um they've adapted it to a a canon 70 to 200 full frame lens and it's just a little nub on the back on the back yeah uh and it's just it's humorous to look at i don't know why anybody would actually use this contraption uh as it's configured but hey it would definitely be a conversation starter uh and we're all looking for that social interaction right now so if you want people to question your sanity you can go ahead and do that there you go (laughs) yeah (laughs) all right well i i think we've talked that one to death over just a couple of minutes but hey if you if you're curious about this tech and you just want to tinker and uh and get a project in your mind that uh requires very little effort and very little expense then there's one for you now if you want to spend more money more money uh then via petapixel there's an article that sony will unveil a new full frame mirrorless camera in june says a report 
And so uh, I'll skim through this. Um, the, the they're basically saying that it, it's likely to be uh, the A seven S three three because it's been anticipated for so long. Uh, it's been delayed, uh, and the first report published last week, I'm reading from the article, claimed that a trusted source who had leaked accurate information in the past said that the Sony A7S III would arrive in late June, uh, with shipping expected to start by late summer. So uh, in the height of the pandemic, we are going to see potentially, uh, if the rumors are true, a new uh, flagship camera of sorts Mm -hmm. from Sony. And uh, we talked about in the last episode what Canon is doing with the EOS R5, which they've announced. And mm-hmm. we've got a, a pretty spectacular spec sheet, uh, you know, detailing, especially from a video perspective, what that camera is going to be capable of. What do you think, Steve, about um, launching uh, a new product in the pandemic, not only from a perspective of who's going to buy it, um, but uh, I mean, may- maybe it's actually a good time. Mm-hmm. Uh, if, if Sony was, uh, true to the rumors prior to this, um, they were going to be cutting the DRAM, uh, put into their cameras in order to, uh, supply to the PlayStation five, mm-hmm. uh, because they've got multiple businesses, multiple, uh, you know, different segments that they need to fill and only so many parts to go around. Right. Um, so conceivably, and I'm just, the wheels are turning in my head here. The gears are grinding and, and getting unrested. Um, could it be that now is actually a better time because the demand will be lower and they can make a better product knowing that their supply chains are slower? Or am I just talking out of my butt? Yeah, I mean, I think the they've talked about June and I've been kind of following this camera for a while. And it's, I think that's optimistic. Um, you know, this companies, uh, where to sell it to. I think that, you know, the whole supply chain is going to limit their ability. I mean, June, what's that? less than 30 days from now. I doubt yeah. they may announce it, but I doubt if they're going to release it. But for me personally, um, and in my business, this is actually interesting because uh, the camera that I'm currently using in the studio is is at its end of its useful life. And so I'm already in the process of looking at what that next camera is going to be. Um, and I've looked at, you know, medium format. I've looked at replacing the system I have. I've looked what, what at system switch. do you currently shoot with? I'm currently using a Nikon um, D, D810, which is long in the tooth. And the replacement for that, which was the 850, is starting to get a little long in the tooth. And so they're not talking about releasing anything new until about 21 for that camera system. Um, and I'm not interested in doing switching to the mirrorless for the Nikon system. So um, if I'm going to switch, one of the companies that I've looked at is Sony, and uh, they've done fairly well in the studio area. So this is actually a good one that I've looked at, so I'm quite interested in it. And also, like I mentioned earlier, uh, video is becoming more and more important in my business. And, you know, this camera, it's a good still camera. Um, They talked about having a 60 megapixel setting for it, Um, but they also, it's you know, it's a perfect video camera. So, well, and they haven't released any specifications towards true. what it would be for video. Um, but if uh, if industry uh, if industry uh, trends are are going to be carried forward, then it would have to also be a good video camera to compete with everything else in that same class. True, but it is kind of marketed as video focused. You know, yep. they always they tend in this line they tend to at least in my opinion, they tend to focus more on the video side 
that also does stills versus a still camera that also does video. Well, and the low light performance lends itself yep. to that quite nicely mm-hmm. because you can do things uh, in video in lower light that would be impossible with another mm-hmm. camera, uh, at least within the same product lineup. Yes, there's cameras, some uh, industrial cameras from Canon that can basically see in the dark and right. and so on and so forth. And um, But if you want something that serves multiple purposes and yeah, you, you get a call that you need a job to, to film a you know, a, a bat flying out of a mm. cave. Uh, I, I don't know. I'm, I'm making stuff up, but I get a lot of weird requests from documentary filmmakers um, that say, Hey Don, can you do this or that? Right. Or I'm like, uh, sure. And then I panically search as to how I can actually accomplish that particular goal. And there's gotta be a way to do it. Um, and this camera might be that particular goal for some people. And you don't know what it's going to be until uh, you get it and you realize, huh, I can do that now. What does right. that actually mean for me? Especially right now, when we're going to be redefining our businesses, uh, when we're going to be coming back into a world, again, we've talked about it, we don't know what it's going to be. Uh, we don't know what requests are going to be made of us. And to have a, not, I don't want to say a jack of all trades, because that means a master of none, but mm-hmm. something that really well balances with the latest technology, both photo and video. Um, I personally own a Lumix S1H, mm-hmm. uh, and I'm uh, eagerly awaiting the uh, the raw shooting firmware that will be out later this month. Uh, it's been announced to come out, I think, May 25th or so. And, uh, you know, for a lot of those projects that they need to match footage with different cameras, and I'm right. just a, a cog in the machine for that. But I, I got to be sparkling. You know, otherwise they're going to choose a, a different piece of the puzzle, uh, and I'm not going to get that particular gig. Um and so it'd be interesting to see what the A7S uh, III brings to the table. Sony has traditionally hit it out of the park with these exactly every time. Uh, done a really nice job. Yeah. And, yeah, I'm and, excited about it. I think that even you know I've even considered having a dedicated video camera and a dedicated still camera for studio work. It doesn't have to be the same camera because rarely, if I'm asked to do a job, is it you need to do both? It's one or the other. So. Um, you know, now, cons- what if this camera, Steve, comes in at uh, 24, 28, sub 30 megapixels that's in terms fine. of the overall resolution? It's not anything that's going to deter you from, from the purchase. No. no, not at all. Not at all. Right. Uh, well, and, and of course, even if you're shooting for a billboard, you're not going to nose up to the billboard no. and say, hey, I can see those pixels. Uh, you know, <laughs> <laughs> no, first of all, I don't do billboards, but secondly, I don't do beauty work. I mean, I do, but I don't. So it's not like you have to edit at the pixel level, um, you know, doing editorial spreads or portfolio work. And so a 40, you know, 25 to 45 megapixel image is perfect for me. And as long as the pixels are good and I've got good software, you know, on the editing side, I'm good to go. Um, whereas where I'm limited now is that the camera that I'm using today is really not good for video. So I have a Lumix camera myself and I'm not the best and I'm using that for video clips. So if, if my business, as we come out of this pandemic, switches more to, you know, both video and still work, then something like this might be a good option. So I'm pretty excited about it. And like I've said in my, you know, in the previous times we've been on the show is that anytime anything's new launched, I'm excited about it. Yeah. Um, 
Well, because you, you get to see what, what the latest has been pushed to. Uh, exactly. Who's pushing the envelope and how far has that gone? Because whoever's going to come out next has to either get past that same threshold exactly. in order to take the crown. Uh, crown's kind of a dirty word now because, I mean, in... <laughs> Corona. In, uh, yeah. Okay. So, um, let's use a different word. But uh, the idea of uh, of being the, the best of something exactly. is, is valuable for the brand. Right, because uh, even if you don't buy that flagship camera, you'll invest in its pedigree by getting in at a lower level, or you come in with comparable or slightly lower specifications with a reduced price point mm. um, that makes it a better uh, value proposition. And, and Sony started doing this when they entered in the uh, industry. They come up, came up with cameras that were as good as the competition, but were noticeably cheaper. Yeah. And, uh, you know, th- it wasn't a, a profit game for them at that point. It was a market share game. And that's where they've gotten today. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, uh, Lumix is known well for their video stuff. Canon had been previously with the 5D Mark II. Nikon really never, never did. No. Uh, but it is a growing market. And uh, and if Sony can continue that, uh, that push, then the A7S III is going to be a remarkable camera. And... If the demand is lower, and this is just me talking here, um, they might be able to put more hardware into the camera um, because they have availability of parts, knowing that the sales are going to be lower in order to say, yes, we are going to push that envelope just a little bit farther. Right. Um, and uh, we'll see where that goes. Well, let's just hope the demand picks up. <laughs> yeah, well, of course. I mean, yeah. we don't want any uh, camera company right now to fail during no. this because the competition mm. is great for everybody. Right. Uh, I do worry about Pentax, though. But that's another story. Um, uh, speaking of uh, pushing the envelope, there was a kind of adjacent story to this with uh, Canon, uh, also from Petapixel, unveils a $100 firmware update. Oh, what magic goodies are they going to include in that? Because when you have to pay for a firmware update, Mm -hmm. you better be getting something something delicious. Uh, For professional stop-motion photographers, say what? Mm -hmm. Uh, (laughs) Okay, Claymation type things. Okay, so there is now a firmware update. Um, that uh, I'll I'll read this paragraph from the article, which kind of sums it up uh, succinctly, and then we can talk about it briefly, Um, that you can buy for $100, or it can be pre-installed on a new Canon EOS R, that's the camera that it's for, uh, for a $100 premium. Uh, Won't appeal to anybody unless you use Dragon Frame. Dragon Frame is apparently a very good stop motion mm-hmm. software application. I've never used it, uh, but I did some research and it's kind of the go-to thing. Mm-hmm. And uh, in fact, neither the improvements, uh, uh, neither of the improvements in this are visible outside of the software. So it'll update the camera, but it only becomes apparent once you plug it in, uh, I'm assuming via USB, uh, to the software. And so once it's installed and hooked up to the software, the firmware lets your EOS R display a live view resolution of 1920 by 1280 in Dragon Frame rather than the regular 960 by 640 and allows you to use manual focus peaking over USB. But here's the kicker. In order to do this, the firmware completely disables HDMI output. And there's no mention in any of the articles or press releases I could find that state that this is like a custom function feature that you could turn on or off. So you have to be committed to this Mm -hmm. uh, because you will lose features otherwise. Now, 
In the past, uh, Canon has been notorious for leaving features out of cameras that everybody else has, like an intervalometer, for example. And they'll sell you an expensive gadget that will do that feature because they want your money and they exactly. just don't want to bundle that in. So I'm of two minds here, Steve, and I want to know your opinion. One mind is that uh, I'm glad this is a thing that if you have a need for it, you can pay for it. Mm-hmm. And if ev- if they covered every single niche uh, of I, I don't know, like uh, star tracking by doing uh, in-body image stabilization shifting to follow the stars for something. I, I'd pay for that, even though I might only use it once or twice a year. That would be something that I would be willing to fork out a few extra dollars for. Uh, if you go through all of those niches, I would be willing to pay for it. But uh, I'm also of the mind that if you want to roll in something that is weird and an oddity and is only for a few select people. I mean, either you don't make it because it's going to cost you money, or you make it a PR stunt that you get the value back in just uh, goodwill, and right. you just give it to these people, right? What do you think? Well, first of all, you know, it's if you do claymation or stop animation, or you're using, you know, drag and frame, then something like this, you're going to want to have. I'm a little bit worried about the fact that, you know, it does disable your HDMI um, output because then that limits your camera going forward. But, you know, at the end of the day, we're the we're an industry that pays extra money for a, a red sh- shoulder strap or a, a fancy bag. <laughs> oh, yeah. So $100, ba- $100 for firmware, if you're in this industry, that's nothing. Now, would somebody like me use it? No, I don't do stop action. So... Uh, you know, if I do, I'm doing it on my iPhone. So it's it's so niche um, that it's almost like, you know, it's a hundred bucks, big deal. But yeah, it's kind of funny. I mean, it's I've never heard of having to pay for firmware. Um, uh, Lumix has done that with special features for their video cameras, uh, and uh, and, and it, it's. It's valuable if you need the upgrade to shoot log footage or mm-hmm. to get uh, you know, very specific things that the cinema industry would right. require. But uh, if you have to pay for that, I mean, you just roll that into a line item of the invoice to your client, right? right. I mean, it's, it's a simple thing to say, okay, well, that's just the cost of doing business. You want the higher quality, uh, it will pay it will cost you a very, very small margin. Uh, and uh, And we have that available to you. And so uh, Panasonic has done that uh, and other manufacturers now. Uh, this is the first besides that that I've seen from another major player here uh, from Canon. Yeah, I just thought it was interesting when I read the article. I thought, okay, this is kind of unusual. I, you would think that Dragon Frame would make it as a part of their suite of products instead of, uh, you know, instead of having to buy, spend a hundred bucks for it. So. Yeah, well, hey, and there's a $100 firmware update. But it, it also reminds me of the um, the era of the 5D Mark II, which I mentioned earlier. It was mm-hmm. one of Canon's uh, establishing uh, products in the video huh. industry. And uh, Magic Lantern kind of evolved from that, which was mm-hmm. a third party. They kind of hacked and reverse engineered the firmware in order to um, to push the, uh, the bit rate on that mm-hmm. camera. I think that was their initial goal. 
to the absolute maximum throughput that could be offloaded to an SD card uh, at a time so that it would just take that and push it even farther. Mm -hmm. Uh, And if anybody was enterprising enough with that camera and required that extra data, then you could go to Magic Lantern, which is, uh, I mean, they are a, a renegade entity in the sense that they're not uh, sanctioned by Canon in any way. And in fact, um, when Canon came out with the one DC, which was a variation of the one DX that shoot, uh, shot 4k video, they refused to release any firmware updates for that camera publicly. You would have to send it back mm-hmm. to the factory because if somebody like magic lantern got it, they could turn a one DX into a one <laughs> DC. Uh, and they threatened at that point that they would just sue them into the ground <sighs> if they tried anything but still let them play with lesser cameras which is an unusual place but uh, my point is that um this seems like a feature like a a niche somebody on their lunch break with Mm -hmm. sufficient programming expertise could program uh this into magic lantern like it it seems like it's a job for that that would be free to anybody that's willing to just uh kind of roll their own software on their camera uh and I mean, maybe Magic Lantern will do something like this, right. but probably less so now that Canon has put out an yeah. official product with a price point on it. Um, but you can program. I think Sony cameras have had the ability to add apps in the past. Um, what do you think about the idea of the expandability of a camera? We talked about it in the first story when we have the um, uh, the Raspberry Pi and you basically you know, write your own camera software or use something that somebody else has already produced, but it's expandable, customizable. There's a community around it. Why haven't we really seen that uh, in in the, the space where we have our, our fancy cameras and they're all just buttoned down and you can't get into them? Yeah, I don't know. I mean, it's we all have a camera right now that sits in our pocket that's customizable yeah. through apps and that you can do things with your iPhone or with your Android device, just through the apps that expand it, do different things with it. But you can't do it with your camera that you spend 10 times more money for. I would love it if I had a camera that you could put apps on. And that that was my main camera so that I could do specific things um, that I can't do now, that I have to import it into, um, into a computer and then mess around with it in the computer and then do it. So if let's say I had my my studio camera right now, and I was able to um, run an app on it, and I could output a uh, a really nice customized JPEG that I could upload to Instagram Im- immediately. Um, that would be great. Yeah. Um, but I can't. Now I'm sure there's some cameras out there that you can, some smaller cameras, but I can't. So that would be really nice if you could do something like that. Yeah. Um, so. I wish you could customize cameras, but alas, well, you can't. Uh, but if if that customization would compromise the reliability, right? Like if some uh, third party makes an app that occasionally crashes um, and uh, then somehow compromises the camera's integrity until you like pull out the battery and put it back in. Mm-hmm. Um, I understand why there is a certain uh, reluctance to do that. But at the same time, this is 2020 and we we have to be able to shoot exactly what we want if we can't do it in camera a lot of cameras can be controlled via their usb uh, ports 
to like trigger the camera uh, and to send data back. And then other software can then interpret that data and choose when to trigger the camera, et cetera. Right. That exists as, a, as an external thing. Mm-hmm. Um, why can't it be in the camera? And, exactly. and, and maybe we're on the precipice of that. Uh, and, and we're just kind of overlooking what this is going to be in the future. And I hope that's the case. Well, we um, can always get a Raspberry Pi camera and do it. <laughs> That we can, we can. Um, but uh, unfortunately, you won't be able to buy that Raspberry Pi camera from at least seven Henry's locations here in Canada, uh, as a very bad segue to the next story, uh, where Henry's, which is Canada's top photo retailer, this is being reported on Petapixel, is to close a quarter of its stores. It owns uh, 29 stores, or at least it did. It's going to be shuttering seven of them. And uh, uh, those stores, uh, you know... It, Camera retailers have been struggling in some ways for a while. Yes, if they have a uh, an e-commerce business, then that's great and that's growing and you have to buy your camera from somewhere. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, Henry's is going to be closing uh, their Coquitlam, uh, Langley, Victoria. Those are all out in British Columbia. Uh, Brampton, Markham, uh, Nepean, and Sudbury, uh, which is in Ontario. And Sudbury is the town I was born and raised mm-hmm. in. So I'm sad to see that they're losing their, um, uh, their only big camera store. But is this... Is this a sign of the pandemic or is this a sign of the times in general? I think this is a sign of the times that's being driven by the pandemic or being accentuated by the pandemic. Because, look, I'm not a consumer buyer of photography equipment. I know generally what I want. I don't go into a store to shop. I go into a store to buy. Um, And so if I can place an order for the next release of a Nikon camera, I can. I can go into a shop and buy it, or I can buy it online from, you know, a, a company like B&H. So I think that the companies have to adapt to that new reality. Yeah. And I think that it's, you're, you're going to see the big stores. They're going to stay, at least for now. You know, we have a, a fairly large store here in where I live, uh, you know, one of the bigger Midwestern stores. And I think they're going to be successful going forward. Call it but even Who they, is it? It's Robert's Camera. Okay. But even they were shut down for almost two months. And so I, um, I had to buy some film chemistry yesterday. And you can't ship it. Um, so I had to physically buy it. And so you had to place an order through them. Um, they sent you an email that it's available. You dro- I drove to the store. Um, they came out to my car and handed Curbside it to me. Curbside pickup, yeah. Curbside pickup. Um, and it was fine. Um, so in the future, why not, you know, they could do that. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's going to be tough. I think companies, the bigger companies, the bigger stores, the people who do want to go shopping that do need help from a you know, from a clerk who says, hey, you know, look at this camera, look at this camera, that might be good. Somebody has a good, you know, hey, I want to see what the different cameras look like. Um, a physical store is important, but for somebody like me or like yourself, eh, how how important is it? Well, I think their e-commerce uh, venture is very important, not just to be able to click a button and buy, mm-hmm. but 
I like B&H and Adorama. Um, they have uh, a great number of reviews on yes. their website. And so, yes, you can you can talk to a representative from the company that recommends you something, both in person or virtually. Mm-hmm. But there might be some level of an inherent bias. There might be some spiff afforded to them if they sell a particular yes. brand over another <laughs> over a period of time. Uh, and I've been there. And I, I, I've i worked in camera retail. So I, I know how that works. Um but if you read comments uh, and and reviews that say, yeah, this was great, or, you know, and, and I guess it's human nature to go to the one-star reviews first and see what people are complaining about. And okay, well, that person just got a lemon and they're bitter about it. That's fine. That's not the majority of people. Or uh, they have a legitimate issue that you might also encounter, and so you shy away from it. Um, but that's a, that's a part of the buying process, I think. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, a related article, uh, B&H out of New York, and I'm a frequent customer of theirs as well, has furloughed 20% of their staff. And that's probably the people that would be helping you in their store, store. which is basically a massive showroom of Mm. everything a photographer could ever want and maybe in a few years afford. Uh, (laughs) Yeah, it's a bit overwhelming in there. It's a bit overwhelming. Uh, But if in that scenario, those people, again, they can't be helping right. uh, a, uh, a guest host on this podcast, uh, Brian Weiss works for Henry's. And I was talking to him the other day, he's uh, transitioned to, uh, to being one of the people that is behind the little chat box that shows mm-hmm. up on their website to recommend specific products. Uh, and I'm glad that he's still gainfully employed in that particular role, even though the store that he normally is, uh, I think he's in management there. I think he's the, um, assistant manager, uh, is closed and so they they pushed online and and thankfully um he still is uh uh, is helping customers and and doing that job but the issue is if you want to buy from a canadian retailer um B&H makes it really hard to do that because you get free shipping over a hundred bucks which is most photography stuff um and uh, they've got the reviews built into that platform. So if I want to buy it from Henry's, I'd go read reviews somewhere else because they don't have a whole lot of them. And then what's going to take me back there, mm-hmm. right? And so this is a different paradigm uh, that we're going to be facing. And I I think that we will have the token camera stores, especially for niche products, used products. Right. Um, but by and large, that brick and mortar industry uh, Neiman Marcus, uh, not related to photography, mind you, but they, they've just declared bankruptcy, right. uh, luxury retailer, uh, department store. And that's only going to continue. And it's going to affect the photographic industry as well. I, yeah, I don't think it's unique to the photographic industry. I think it's, you know, when you can buy something through a company like Amazon and place your order in the morning, you get it in the afternoon, and you don't have to go outside. It's hard to compete with that. But I do think that you're going to find companies like Robert's Camera, B&H, Adorama, uh, the large companies that have sophisticated staff, that have good inventory, that have an online presence, that have a social media presence, uh, that does film, that does supplies. They're going to stay in business at least through this pandemic. I think it's the smaller ones that are not going to do well. And well, and and Black's photography here in Canada, uh, which mm -hmm. I was employed with, they were then bought by TELUS. uh, And, uh, I, I don't have any inside knowledge as to why they were eventually shuttered, but I do know that they had banked heavily uh, while I was there on prints and, uh, you know, four by six and five by sevens of just about right. everything from everybody. And that pretty well evaporated. Yeah. And Don, I think that we're going to, like I said, six months from now, we're going to wake up and look back 
at uh, 2019 and the beginning of 2020 and say, those are the good old days. Things will be different. Um, <laughs> well, but, but even with Henry's too, I mean, if I had a bone to pick with them, mm-hmm. it's when I pre-ordered my Canon 1DX, which was many years ago on the announcement day. I called them up and I put in a pre-order even before it was available on their website. They, uh, they assured me I'd get one as quickly mm-hmm. as possible. And then they started shipping and mine wasn't. And then a week goes by and they have no stock. Two weeks, three weeks go by and they still have no idea when my camera pre-ordered on day one uh, was, or day zero, really. I I think I pre-ordered, I called them up knowing that the announcement based on rumors was going to happen the next day and say, take my money uh, and, uh, and give me this camera. And then I called around to all the camera shops in Toronto and uh, Aiden camera had one sitting on the shelf. Mm -hmm. So I drove down to Toronto, bought it, and then took that box into Henry's and said, you see this? I'm I'm, I'm asking for a refund on my uh, 100% down payment, by the way, uh, for the camera, because I found it on the shelf somewhere else. I mean, you dropped the ball here. And so as uh, as a retailer, uh, that was years ago now. Uh, you just can't do that anymore. Yeah, you also have to be careful, especially today, with the way the retail industry is going. You put a down payment on, and let's say you're going to get delivery several months from now. Is that company still going to be in business in a couple months from now? So you got to yeah. be more careful too. So yeah, exactly. Yeah. All right. Well, let's get into our uh, our next story. Uh, are you good for time, Steve? This, yeah, I'm fine. The show's going to go long here. Yeah, but, I'm fine. Uh, I I'm sure everybody's enjoying the conversation, and we're going to sort of opine about our own history in the next mm-hmm. one. Um, DP Review, uh, they've been running this article about gear that has changed my photographic life. Uh, and the latest article was about uh, a Canon PowerShot G3. I, I never shot that camera. I don't know if you did, Steve. It, it, that no. doesn't matter for this conversation. But what matters is uh, what we define as the gear that um, really defined us as photographers that said, okay, well, uh, it was a pivoting point for us. Mm-hmm. It was a revelation. It was something that meant, hey, I can be a professional photographer, or mm-hmm. it was the spark of something. Um Pick one thing, Steve, in in your storied history with photography, digital or film, what was really a powerful moment for you? Yeah, I've been doing photography since I was 14 years old, and that was a long, long time ago. And I've seen all the trends. But, you know, I thought about this long and hard when you when you thought this would be a good article to talk about. And I what really hit me was about six years ago. Um I I did what was called street photography before it was really street photography. Um, I was still doing my studio work, but, um, you know, just everyday work, um, shooting in the street, doing snapshots and things like that. And I always used my studio equipment, you know, the big DSLRs with big lenses. And, you know, you did all this stealth work where you had these long lenses and you'd sit back from somebody or a scene quite a distance. And, you never really participated. And you always felt kind of awkward having this big DSLR. So you couldn't go into a venue. You couldn't go into a shop. You couldn't do anything because you had all this big kit. And so um, kind of on a whim, I bought a Sony um, A6000, which is a small portable. It's still still being produced, still a good camera, uh, point and shoot. And I bought this thinking, okay, well, this will be complement my big, you know, Nikon DSLR kit. 
And I'll do this for, you know, just some random shots here and there. But what I found was that a camera that size, even though it had a kit lens, the lens was good. It had a good sensor. The image quality was amazing. The autofocus was great. The firmware was perfect. Um, it worked well with Lightroom and Photoshop. It worked great. And it was small. It was and a it was, freedom moment for you. It was it was amazing. So all of a sudden, like I would find out, you know, I'm not using my DSLR as much on a day-to-day basis. I only use it in studio. And then it came to the point was where, you know, I was going on some major workshops in Paris and LA and in um, different places. And I wasn't bringing my big kit. I was just bringing this small um, Sony and I was bringing maybe a film camera. It was so liberating. And all of a sudden, because it wasn't this big uh, 200 millimeter lens, I was getting closer to people. So I was interacting more with the scene and I was shooting more because I had it with me all the time. You know, I threw it in a bag, I threw it in my backpack, I kept it in the car. And so I was taking more shots. And, you know, it, it was like it separated my my work where it wasn't, I didn't feel like it was professional, quote unquote, because I had my big professional kit. It took and the so pressure now, off, right? And yeah. you, you were free to just to experiment and have it was, fun. It was, it was completely changed the way I worked uh, outside of the studio. And, um, you know, I I love that camera. And it was so good. And I've used it um, until I gave it to my son, you know, this past fall. And I switched over to the Fujifilm uh, line. I love that camera. And it was such a change and so liberating for me. So I think that if I hadn't made that change, kind of bought one on a whim, and if I was still using the DSLR, I probably wouldn't have done as much work, um, you know, just out on the street and just everyday stuff that I didn't. As a matter of fact, if I were to go out and use a DSLR outside of the studio, I'd look at myself, what am I doing? strange, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Like if I go to a street party or street fair, you know, back when you had those things, and if I had that big DSLR, people would look at me like, what are you doing? So. Yeah, I really liked that camera. And I think that um, that really changed the way I worked and, and the way I thought about photography too. And I can say something to that same effect. I mean, um, I I used the, uh, the, the Lumix GX9 for mm-hmm. about a year professionally just to say that I could do it mm-hmm. uh, and to show people the work that could be created using uh, a micro four thirds camera, not even a flagship right. camera, but something that was small and compact. Right. And I even used the smallest little compact lens that has yep. that you have to kind of spin uh, mm-hmm. to to actually be able to activate because it in its most compact form, it doesn't actually work. Yeah, uh, I mean, the, that's about the size of the Sony kit lens that I had on mine. A6, yeah, it, it's the the G Vario twelve to thirty two aspherical yeah. lens, and you know it, it's cheap and it's tiny and it was effective. I did some great work mm-hmm. in caves and waterfalls across Bulgaria, where sure. we travel every year. Well, not this year, um, but uh, we w- when we are doing that, I like to travel light mm-hmm. and to have something that is capable. But really, for me, the defining moment. Um, that uh, kind of taught me about photography and uh, made me a photographer uh, was the purchase of a Rebel XTI. Uh, and that was, uh, I mean, uh, a few generations into the digital Rebel series, but not too many. No. Uh, and, uh, you know, I might have told that story on this podcast before. And if you've heard it before, then just listen anyhow. But, um, you know, I I never, ever had an interest in photography whatsoever. Really? Um, 
Yeah, I, I through childhood and adolescence. No, I was I was playing video games or out biking in the woods and stuff like that. Um, and uh, my dad, however, did. And so, like when he was in high school, he was on the yearbook committee, taking pictures of all of his friends, and um, really enjoyed that uh, uh, that endeavor. He never was able to become a professional photographer. His parents, my grandparents, basically just flat out said no. Uh, you cannot have a stable income being a photographer, uh, go get a job that you can raise a family with. And I think that they were right to say that because to be a professional photographer is not for everybody and Mm -hmm. everybody that wants to become one does not become one. Right. Um, and so they were just looking out for him and I totally appreciate that. He ended up, um, uh, designing and installing mining communication equipment around the world. Hmm. Uh, and I remember like, he went to places uh, in uh, South Africa and Venezuela and would go on safaris and bring his camera uh, and and make that a part of the equation. But he was never a professional photographer, but it was always a a lifelong love of his. And uh, my dad, uh, he had a, uh, he had a couple of problems. He was a good man, but he was not, uh, not always good. He had issues with drug abuse. Uh, He had issues with alcohol and, uh, and so that ended up uh, ending his life at the age of 47, wow. uh, just over a decade ago. But uh, when he was getting sick and while I was still in school, I, I ended up, um, uh, I was visiting him about once a week uh, in a city three hours away while going to, to school full time in college. Um, and so life was busy. But I made sure I made the time for him. And, and, and one visit, uh, he just gave me an envelope uh, that had money inside of it. And he said, just go spend it on something that you like, something of a living will that I can see you enjoy while I still can. Um, and knowing his love of photography and uh, knowing that I wanted to reconnect with him, my parents had been divorced for most of my life and uh, we hadn't really bonded in a long time. I, I went out and I bought a camera. Hmm. I bought that Rebel XTI. And, uh, you know, at first it just had the kit lens and some other gadgets alongside. But right. um He taught me a lot about the psychology of photography, especially when it came to photographing people uh, and then about the psychology of people in general, which we had some great discussions on. And I started to teach him about uh, digital photography, what Mm. a raw file was and and so many interesting things, a good back and forth. Uh, And when he did finally pass, there was a, a small amount of life insurance money that I used to pay off my student debts and, uh, buy a slightly better camera. But Hmm. I did that only because my dad inspired me to do that because I wanted to reconnect with him. And those first years with that rebel, I don't know if I have any good images from that. Um, it, it was, it was a time in my life where I was doing it more for him. And I kind of let the camera collect dust for about a year after he died. And only then after I kind of collected myself and thought, you know what, let's, let's try to, to honor this a little bit more. Let's explore uh, and use it as a tool. And I did in those early days uh, as a tool to explore the world that I can't see with my own eyes, uh, to use it as something that is a fundamental different way to look at the world around us, which my dad <laughs> always loved to do. And oh, yeah. so it was that Rebel XTI that started everything for me. Not the first camera I ever owned. I had point and shoots and stuff before that, but that was the one that made me. The first legit camera, huh? Yeah. Yeah. And it's really amazing that if you go back to those images today, if you still have them, um, you know, you probably see some that bring back memories or like, what was I thinking about when I took that shot? It's, it's always nice to go back to those images. 
Oh, yeah. Well, and especially if you can smile and laugh at yourself yeah. at this point to say, okay, well, I thought that was good. Really? What was I possibly thinking? <gasps> I know. Uh, and and I, everybody has those. And I think, oh. you know, if, if I could give anybody homework in this episode, <laughs> go look at those. Oh, Just, that's what I, one of the things I've been doing during the pandemic is to go back to some of those old images. It's like, oh my goodness. <laughs> yeah. And, and, and yeah, be good natured about it. Be humorous and, and yeah, make fun of yourself because yeah. there's nothing better than some self-deprecating humor right now to just put a smile on your Absolutely. face and those around you. Absolutely. Um, and, and so uh, I remember there was one time, um, this was... I was an enterprising child. Uh, when I had turned 18, I was, uh, well, actually, even before that, I wanted to go to E3, the Electronic Entertainment Expo in mm-hmm. Los Angeles. And because uh, I loved video games. Sure. And uh, I couldn't at 17 because I needed to be 18 uh, in order to, to go. And you had to have valid press credentials. And so I ended up creating a website with video game reviews that I backdated for years mm-hmm. uh, so that I looked like I was a legitimate operation and to, to create valid press credentials. And at the time, I was attending a software development uh, degree program at uh, Seneca College, Seneca at York, which I failed at. Uh, I did not get that degree. Uh, but during this time, uh, I contacted Seneca and, and I said, you know, I'm going down to, to E3. Um, can I have some uh, camera equipment to do some videos of that, mm-hmm. uh, of that process? And they said, our normal response is never, but, um, but we see what you're doing. And because uh, I was not even in that program, I was in software development, not in any of the cinematography or journalism or any of this stuff. Uh, they said, but uh, uh, do us proud, take this gear and uh, and have some fun with it. I still have those videos somewhere. <laughs> uh, the website is long defunct. But yeah. um, and so that was, I, I guess, even prior to my dad's uh, encouragement, I, uh, I, I faked press credentials so that I could go play video games before they were announced and recorded the entire process for posterity. I love it. I love it. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Those were the days when you could have a blog and consider yourself, uh, you know, get a press uh, agency. Oh yes. Yes. The the website, by the way, uh, was called electric pickle online, which was named after a science experiment. Electric Um, pickle electric pickle online and and so the experiment which i had done as a child with my dad's tutelage is we took an old lamp that we were going to throw out and we cut the cord off of it and we separated mm-hmm. the the two positive right. and negative uh i mean it's ac but uh the, the the two wires uh and we stuck them in either end of a pickle and plugged it in and it created this beautiful electric charge through the pickle before it started smoking and burning and smelling really bad uh and so I, I will probably introduce that experiment to my daughter at some point in the future, oh, not definitely. at four years old, but <laughs> it will be part of her upbringing. Well, you know, there's going to be a lot of people that are going to try that now. <laughs> yes. Well, and, and our, our slogan uh, was, we're not a sex toy company. So that was that was my humor at, uh, at 18 years old. Oh, so. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and look at you now. And look at me now. Uh, so, hey, there, there's a blast from the past. Anyhow, Steve, <laughs> let's <laughs> let's wind this down with some picks of the week. But before we get there, where can people find you online and your work when you get back to work? Yeah, I'm very active in social media, um, both Twitter, um, 
Instagram and Facebook. Um, all my things will be on, I'm sure, on your show notes, but it's uh, stephenbrokawphotography.com is my website. And I also have a film of 35 millimeter and 120 um, film blog called uh, filmphotographylust.com. And so um, most active on Instagram. So um, yeah, just check and, me out there. And, and what is your Twitter handle? Um, it's 888SEB. Um, and it's, I did, I did that when I lived in China and, you know, eight in China is lucky and just my initials there that you was go. before the days of when, uh, you should have something creative. I just came up with I, it. Again, I wanted to bring up the past cause we all have a storied history. Yeah. 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 <laughs> no, just, just, uh, use my name and it comes up to everything. Yeah. You're the only Steve Brokaw that does what you do. Yes. Yeah. All Although right, there well, is a makeup artist. Somewhere, I think in LA, by the name of Steve Brokaw, and there's somebody somewhere that did some scams that's named Steve Brokaw. That if you Google it, you're like, oh my God, is that who he is? (laughs) (laughs) It's not you. No, no, I'm the photography guy. And the only other Don Komarechka is my grandfather. Um, And I I did a a speaking engagement in uh, January or earlier this year. and somebody came up to me and said, you're not Don Komarechka. He's old. Yeah. I went to school with him. And this guy is looking like he's in his 70s or 80s. Like, well, I am I'm Don Komarechka. And the, the other one. one is my grandfather. I'm the new right. one. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So uh, our picks. Um, yep. Why don't you go first? Um, well, as you know, I'm a, I do a lot of film photography. Um, it's my hobby. And so one of the things, uh, film photography is taking off. It's been taking off the last couple of years. And so... Um, most of the cameras, uh, have light meters or they don't have any light meters at all. And if they do have a light meter, they don't work or you can't get the batteries anymore. So, um, you could go out and you could buy a nice light meter, spend a couple hundred bucks for a Sekonic or get something from your grandfather. Sekonic um, makes some like ridiculously expensive stuff oh. in the multiple thousands of dollars. Oh yeah. Like crazy spectrometers and things too. Uh, that, that industry has not disappeared. So if you no, want, no, no. if you want one, it's there, but oh, yeah. I use you don't a, need one for most cases, right? No. And I use a high-end Sekonic uh, light meter for the studio, but you don't need that for, you know, if you're going to go out and shoot and outside shoot your street uh, your photography street there. photography your dog or something so there's an app that i use um it's been out in the market for a couple of years um, but i just recently upgraded to the pro version and it's called my light meter app pro and it's on both um uh, android and, and ios and honestly it's perfect um you know, it's it's actually, I've used it, so I've used a digital camera and used the meter to see how it would meter. And then I've used this app and it's exactly the same. So what I've found I've been doing recently is on, when I go out to shoot in the street or just uh, use my film cameras, I don't even use the light meter in the camera anymore. I just use this little app and it it's almost nothing. I mean, you can get a free version, which is somewhat limited, but uh, the uh, pro version is about, it's less than $5 US. And for that, you get a very, very usable cam, uh, very usable light meter. So I really, uh, really like that and use it all the time now. Now, is it just the app or is there any hardware? Because I know some of them have a little dome covering of the uh, of the camera in order to diffuse the light to uh, maybe be more accurate. But is that even necessary anymore? Yeah, I use it in reflective mode. But if you wanted to use an incident meter, you do need a little... Um, add-on that you get and you just plug it into the the port. Um, 
Um, and I think it, I don't know how much those cost. I think you can probably get third-party ones now, but I've just used a reflective meter and it's fine. But yes, if you want to use an incident meter, you have to get that little dome that you put onto it. Right. And, uh, you know, the difference between reflective and incidence, just to do a, a brief aside, is that you want to see how much light the overall scene, scene is sending back to you. That's a reflective meter. Right. An incident meter is how much light is hitting your subject specifically. Right. And so that's what you would like hold up in front of a model's face. Right and see exactly how much light is reflecting off of their face based on how much light is hitting their face to begin with. Uh, and so those are two different metrics. But by and large, if you're just doing casual photography, uh, you know, like you said, your dog in your backyard, street photography, etc., then uh, the reflective meter is good enough for most people. Right, right. Yeah. So that's uh, my pick of the week. And I've used it, like I said, I use it pretty much every week. And, uh, and my pick is from a company called MyOps, if I'm pronouncing it correctly. Uh, and they have the MyOps Splash, which is a water droplet trigger. And I've done this the hard way using an eyedropper. And mm -hmm. I've done this using some Arduino-based devices in the past that were really hard to configure. I, I, essentially, you're creating a little droplet of water that crashes into a pool of water and creates uh, uh, a splash effect. Or uh, what I prefer is when you have it kind of a sploosh back up and collides with another droplet that's falling down uh, at exactly the right moment to create a collision that explodes hmm. in a crazy abstract random pattern. And, and there's a lot of creativity that can be had with that at home. And I was sent one of these devices uh, to uh, to review. Uh, and I, I mean, I, I'm an unbiased person. If I don't like something, I, I'm going to tell you that I don't like that thing. Um, this is really simple and really easy to use. And I believe, uh, on, on B and H it's $129, uh, hmm. for one of these things. Now you'll need to get the trigger for your specific camera. Um, but, uh, you know, for that cost in terms of photographic equipment, uh, and exploring an entirely new area of photography, you'd, yeah, you'd probably need a macro lens because it's going to be a small thing that you're going to be imaging. Um, but if you want to see something new and you want to experiment with something, uh, the MyOps Splash Water Droplet Kit uh, is definitely something to consider because it's easy. It does take some time to configure based on the height of uh, uh, of the uh, uh, the device, how high mm -hmm. you put it, and how far it has to drop, and uh, how much water you have, and uh, yeah, you got to figure that out. Uh, but once you have it set up. Uh, it's really easy to just experiment and keep playing around with different colored backgrounds and building things around it. And um, if, if you want to be creative right now and at home, things like that are a ticket to keep your sanity. Hmm. Um, and uh, will you create a new body of work? Maybe, maybe, uh, maybe not. Uh, but at least you've done some experimenting and some exploring beyond what you've uh, already explored. And, yeah. uh, and that is definitely worthwhile. So uh, that is my pick of the week, nice. uh, which you can find. Uh, I will put a link to the app that you mentioned, Steve, and mine in the show notes at photogeekweekly.com. Uh, and uh, I, I guess we're done. This is uh, one of the longest episodes ever, Steve. So thank you for Always being enjoy on it. and uh, and being uh, edutaining with yes. with your comments. One final thing I have to ask you: I don't know if you shot uh, large format film. Uh, I've shot four by five, which I kind mm. of wrap into a taco with elastics inside of my daylight development uh, canisters, and I can develop four by five that way. Yeah. How the hell am I supposed to develop the eight by ten film that's on its way? C forty one. I 
Uh, a drum, <laughs> a, I, a bucket. <laughs> I, I'm going to have to figure something out for that. If anybody knows, uh, let me know. And if anybody knows that's working at Microsoft right now, that knows why I cannot order their new Surface Book 3 with the Quadro, uh, Quadro GPU from NVIDIA because they, for some reason, hide that behind a corporate paywall and corporate ordering, which I'm very angry about mm. uh, and would want one to be productive on the go. Uh, not that I'm going anywhere really right now, uh, but I am on my soapbox and I should get off of it yes. at this point in the day. Uh, thank you everybody for listening. And uh, with all that said, it's time to stay in and shoot. Mm-hmm.